28, 29, and 30. Matthew 28, 29, and 30. Um, my heart's full this morning. I have a tendency to, to, to love to review. Uh, if you weren't here last Sunday, I would, you know, please recommend that you uh, access that message. You can get it through different uh, channels, um, podcast, a church website, Facebook, Vimeos, lots of different ways for you to access that video or audio. Um, we were talking about the power of established thoughts. Now, we haven't shifted gears. We're still talking about trusting God. But trusting God is a process. It's something that we learn to do. And we've made this statement over and over again. Trusting in God will lead you through experiences that will open doors of knowing and seeing in your heart that cannot be opened any other way. In other words, we sometimes want to learn things um, by just simply sitting in a classroom that, that can only be learned by uh, action, by, by doing. You can't learn from writing what can only be learned from plowing. You can't learn from watching what can only be learned from doing. And so Father God is, is wanting to, you know, he's inviting you. Jesus is inviting you. The Holy Spirit's inviting you into a process, a daily walk with him. And so we see this in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Jesus speaking, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So there's a pattern here that I love to remind you of, and that pattern is come and I'll give, learn and you'll find. Come and I'll give, learn and you will find. Now, we said a lot of things last week, and I don't want to try to go back through all those things, but, but let me just remind you that nothing influences your life reality more than your established thoughts. Um, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And established thoughts are the ones that we trust the most. It's our go-to. It's the way we've always done things. And we, might even, we may not even know uh, why we've always done things the way we've done them. It's just the way we've always done them. Established thoughts are what we go to when pressured or when the heat is on. And I know I'm guilty of this, and I'm sure some of you maybe can relate to this. Um, we revert back to an old way or an old pattern of thinking and acting and, and speaking, and even knowing that it's not necessarily God's best or even right, but we tell ourselves, well, I'm going to just do this in the moment to get through this tight spot, and then I'll get back to whatever it is that God would have for me to do. I remind you that Satan is, is the one who tries to manipulate pressure and heat and resistance against you to try to keep us locked in those old patterns of thinking and doing. Now, Thoughts are established by experiences. That's really, really, really important. Um, your established thoughts, again, nothing affects your life reality more than your established thoughts. Your established thoughts have been established in your life by things that you have experienced throughout your life. This means it will take new and different experiences to establish new and better thoughts in your life. This is why, again, you can't learn from writing what can only be learned from plowing. So, one more time, placing your trust in God will lead you through experiences that will open doors of knowing and seeing in your heart. Trusting God moves the promises of God from theories in your head to proven foundations in your heart. Now, God was wanting to take his people out of Egypt into the promised land. And in, in order to do that, to prepare them for life in the promised land, he brought them through the wilderness. Now, I know sometimes... Preachers and pastors and Bible teachers, they, they just go crazy with this whole wilderness experience thing. 
And it was supposed to be like, anybody in here like to camp? Anybody in here like to change the scenery and get in that great outdoors? And, and you know, something about, um, for me personally, um, and I know some of you are, yeah, right, but there's something about getting out in God's creation, especially when I set, put my toes in the sand and look at that vast ocean out in front of me. Um, man, the Lord speaks to me in, in those places and change of scenery, a, a change of your environment. And, and so that's what this was supposed to be. Uh, they turned a, an 11-day journey into a 40-year disaster. And the only reason the wilderness was hard and difficult and challenging was because of their rebellion is because of their disobedience and because of their refusal to listen to God and learn from Him the things that He wanted to teach them in that process. Now, you think, well, why didn't God just snap His fingers and, you know, they go to sleep one day in, the, in, in slavery in Egypt and wake up the next morning in their promised land? It's because they would not survive in their promised land unless they learned how to trust God first. So, let me just give you a, a few thoughts. We mentioned a couple of these at the end of last week. You can't get to Canaan with Egyptian thinking. Now, I, I, it's hard, I think, for us to comprehend because when you consider that this country, what, less than 250 years old is the United States of America, these folks were in Egypt for 430 years. Now, not all of those years were spent in slavery. If you, if you know the story, you know, they came as welcome guests into Egypt. And it eventually turned into slavery because Pharaoh felt threatened by God's prosperity and, and, and growth, you know, physical population growth um, of, the, uh, of the nation of Israel there within his borders. And so he tried to uh, diminish them and squash them, basically, by enslaving them. And, of course, we know that did not work. But it was those experiences, and I'm going back to this, it was those experiences uh, I don't know who said this. I, I've tried to find out who said this because I love to give them credit for it. I think it's such a brilliant statement, and it captures it so accurately. And here it goes. It was one thing for God to get them out of Egypt. It was another thing for God to get Egypt out of them. So he rolled up his sleeves. God rolled up his sleeves and flexed his muscles and got them out of Egypt. But it's a whole other story to get Egypt out of them. And so we see when Moses went up on the mountain to get instructions from God, the people took all the gold that God blessed them with. Remember, they didn't leave Egypt empty-handed. They received reparations. God made sure that they were paid and paid handsomely for all those years of labor. And they left Egypt with the wealth of Egypt, with the, with the gold and, 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 and the silver of Egypt. But when they didn't know what happened to Moses, they took off all those, that gold jewelry and they made a golden calf. Now, when Moses came down and called Aaron on the carpet about it, he said, look, we just put the gold in the fire and the calf popped out, which sounds like some, you know, lame excuse, you know, dog ate my homework kind of excuse. But the calf didn't pop out of the fire. It popped out of them. Calves were worshipped in Egypt. It was something that, that was in their established thoughts. And so notice when things got difficult, when, when things got scary, when things didn't uh, seem right or, or make sense or feel safe in the wilderness, they reverted back to the established thoughts of Egypt. And those thoughts were established in them uh, through experiences, things that they had experienced uh, in Egypt, the gods that were worshipped in Egypt. So this is what this whole journey from Egypt through the wilderness into the promised land, that journey through the wilderness was, in, was meant to 
to simplify it, was meant to get God's ways in them and get Egyptian ways and, and established thinking and thoughts out of them. So let me... <clears throat> you can't live and thrive in Canaan with thoughts that were established in Egypt. You can't live as a conqueror with the established thinking of a slave. You can't live as a citizen of God's kingdom with the established thinking of the world. And notice what I just did there. Uh, we jump from them to us. Amen? Because the same is true. You can't live as a citizen of God's kingdom with the established thinking of the world. So the process required to get you to the promised land is designed by God to teach you what you need to know to thrive in the promised land. And it, it's going to take trust to get you there. And the reason it's going to take trust to get you to your best life is because it's going to take trust for you to survive and thrive in your best life. Simply put, where God wants to take you requires trust in Him. Remember, you were created by God to live on a level that you cannot get to on your own. Just as God's people were... He gave that promised land to, to them when He gave it to their ancestor Abraham. It was their inheritance. Amen. It belonged to them. Who said? God said. Right? So He wants them in that promised land, okay? But they'll never make it there because there's enemies in the promised land, just like there's enemies trying to steal from us and spoil from us and cheat us out of what God has freely given to us. The same situation with them. So God wants to take, where God wants to take you requires trust in Him. You cannot exist on the level of prosperity, influence, and fruitfulness that God has for you without trusting God. Because that's the truth and that's the reality. You can't get to that level of prosperity, influence, and fruitfulness without trusting Him. Now, the Lord's given us a bunch of statements. Remember, one of my jobs is to give you things to say. Amen? And God can only take you, remember this statement, God can only take you as far as your trust in Him will allow. Now, that's kind of review and bridge to what we're going to talk about this morning. We have laid a foundation concerning God being a God of process. God is still agricultural. This is a quote from David Lee Martin. God is still agricultural in a mechanical and digital world. The more immersed we become in a push-button mindset, the further we stray from the ways of God. Now, this isn't because God's outdated old-fashioned and needs to, you know, get with the times. Again, there's purpose for the process. We've made a statement similar to this one. We tend to focus more on the benefits of living for God and less on the process of walking with God. We're more interested in the benefit God has and and living for God has, uh, you know, for our lives, then we are the process of walking with Him. Now, why is that important? We learn from process what cannot be learned any other way. We learn from process what cannot be learned any other way. So that goes back to come and I'll give, come and I'll give you rest, take my yoke upon you, and you will find, you will discover rest for your soul. Remember, you have been given, according to 1 Corinthians 2, you have been given not the spirit of this world, but the spirit who is from God, so that you might know the things 
that have been freely given to you by God. What does that mean? It means God has given us things that we don't even know are ours. Now, benefits without process. You realize that's where our world is headed. We, we, we see it more and more and more in our country. Um, benefits without process. What does that mean? Paycheck without work. Trophy without winning. Amen. You say, oh, Pastor, you, you shouldn't be so, so cruel. No, 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 listen to me, please. See, again, when, when we're given the benefit without the process involved in reaping that benefit, it leaves us ignorant. It leaves us immature. It leaves us ungrateful. And it leaves us entitled. Not to mention it leaves us ill-equipped to lay hold of more benefits or defend ourselves against a lying and thieving enemy trying to steal from us what God has given to us. Some of you know that I have um, worked now for many years with men and women coming out of addiction. And not in every case, but rarely have I found someone struggling with addiction that has not had a codependent or an enabler uh, working with them. (laughs) What does that mean? It means basically someone who absorbed the negative consequences of another person's bad choices. And listen, I get it. I'm I'm a dad, and now I'm a granddad. Yowza. When it's time for Jake to discipline Oliver, I'm ready to go home. Are you hearing me? And I'm so thankful that he's disciplined him. Don't miss that. You know I love you, Jake. I'm so thankful that Jake and Bethany are, are, are disciplining my grandchildren. And remember, discipline doesn't mean punishment. Discipline means training, which sometimes requires punishment. Right? Right? So if you don't eat your green beans, you can't have ice cream. See, the heart of a grandfather just wants to go ahead and give him the whole carton of ice cream. I mean, again, you follow what I'm saying? And so I understand the heart of a, of a, of a mother, a father. I, I say the heart of a mother, father, the heart of a parent. I'm a, I'm a father. And the heart of a, of a grandfather. We, we want the best, you know, this whole thing. And, and so there's this issue with you know, people that we love experiencing consequences from their bad choices. And so if we're not careful, we'll absorb those bad choices for them. But what we don't realize is we're violating God's law because God's law says God will not be mocked. Whatever man sows, it will also reap. If you're reaping bad fruit for someone that you love's poor choices, you're in the way of God. And you're actually facilitating their bad choices to continue. In other words, you're greasing the, the, the slide for them to continue to make bad choices. I appreciate the few Baptist nods and a couple of amens I've gotten from this. But this is what benefits without process produces in our lives. We learn from process. We learn from process. Think of the things that we learned from good choices, but also the lessons we learn from the bad choices that we've made. Benefits without process leaves us ignorant, immature, ungrateful, and entitled, not to mention ill-equipped to lay hold of more benefits 
or defend ourselves against a lying and thieving enemy trying to steal the ones we have. Now, in life and the scriptures, we see three stages of growth and development. You know what those are. We go from a baby to a child and from a child to an adult. From baby to child, from child to adult. And we, and we, and we progress through those. It's, it's the process of growing and developing. And I could, I could preach a whole sermon on this, but you do realize that Jesus himself, who laid aside his deity and became a human being, he was not exempt from that process. The Bible says the child grew and waxed strong. And, and, and grew in favor, he, he matured, he developed both emotionally, mentally, as well as physically. The Bible says he grew in stature. Meaning what? Meaning he started out as a baby, from a baby to a child, from a child to a, uh, an adolescent, a, a teenager, and, and then on into uh, full-grown, uh, mature adulthood. I mean no disrespect, but it was 12-year-old thinking that said, I'm going to stay in Jerusalem and not even let my parents know where I am because I must be about my father's business. I mean, again, I mean, Jesus is up there grinning right now. He's like, yes, that's kind of what a 12-year-old thinks, right? In other words, he's just, he, he's starting to discover why he's on this earth. He's starting to discover that he has a gift. He's starting to discover that he can actually sit down with theologians, doctors of the law, and not only have intelligent conversations with them about it but they, they sit back and be amazed at, at this child prodigy right that's sitting in front of them what is it three days later mary and joseph thinks that he's towards the back of the caravan with family and realizes that he's not and nobody's seen him now was wasn't it i think it was three days or maybe i have my days off there it wasn't just 15 minutes they went back to jerusalem in, in a panic Found him in the temple. And he looked at him like, why, what's, why are y'all upset? Do you not know i got to be about my dad's business? I bet Joseph was taking that belt off like, yeah, I'm going to show you dad's business. <laughs> I don't know if he got that or not, I'm just saying. And you know what the Bible says? The Bible says he went, he went back home with them. And he submitted himself to, to them. Right? See, even Jesus at 12 years old wasn't qualified to make all the decisions for his life that he, that he, that he needed to make. That's why God gives us this thing called a parent. Parents, amen. Are you with me still? So in life and scriptures, we see three stages of growth and development. You go from a baby to a child, from a child to an adult. So when I say in life and scriptures, because the same that is true for our physical growth and development and maturity is, is, the, is the same is true for our spiritual growth, development, and maturity. Let's go to Galatians chapter 3, verse 26 now. Galatians 3 and 26. I'm going to try to combine a couple of things now together and that's one of the reasons I was trying so hard to get a screen in front of you because sometimes it helps to connect these dots if we can actually see the dots as we're connecting them. It's okay. We'll, Lord's helping us. Holy Spirit's helping us. Amen? You believing with me for utterance this morning? All right. Galatians 3 and 26. Now, we could really back all the way up to, to chapter 1, verse 1, but we're going to jump in here because this is kind of the, the culmination of everything that the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul has been establishing 
in these you know, first three chapters, if you will, in the book of Galatians. And so it culminates with these statements. And listen to this. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now what we find in Galatians is a key that unlocks a mystery that had been hidden for many generations. And that is God's clever use of the word seed. Seed is one of those words that can mean a singular seed or seed can mean a thousand seed. Okay? And so when he made this promise to the seed of Abraham, everyone assumed that it was talking about all the physical, biological descendants of the seed of Abraham. But God reveals to us that when He made that promise, it wasn't seed as of many, but capital S-E-E-D, as of one. That seed being Jesus. Now why is that important? That's important because even if you're a non-biological descendant of Abraham, as a man or a woman in Christ, you are now in the seed And the promise that was made to Abraham's seed, to Abraham's descendants, now applies to you and me. This is why Jesus became a curse for you, so that the blessing of Abraham could come upon the non-biological descendants of Abraham. I see some of you nodding and raising your hand and saying hallelujah, because that's a really good place to say amen right there. So he's been making this case in in the Scripture, the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul, that whether you're a, a naturally born Jew or a naturally born Gentile, if you're in Christ, you are an heir of God. And if you are an heir of God, right, if you're Christ, then you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now, when this was originally written, it was not written in chapter and verse. So the thought continues in verse number one of chapter four. So the word now is a key word. It's a connecting word. It's like if if you see and at the beginning of a verse or therefore at the beginning of a verse, it's intended to connect you with what was previously stated. And so here, after stating all of this, that we're no longer slave or free, no longer Jew or Greek, no longer male or female. What is he saying? He's saying that we've received a heredity that supersedes all other genetic factors, all other socioeconomic factors. He's saying that we've become something in Christ that we were not before. And, and who we became, the day we became this new creation in Christ Jesus, has made us heirs of the living God and joint heirs together with Jesus himself. Wow. Right? So... Chapter 4, verse 1 begins with now. Now I say that the heir, who's the heir? I'm the heir, you're the heir. If you're a born again man or woman, you're the heir. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all. One, one translation says, though he is lord of all, lowercase l. Now, this is an extremely, extremely important passage. 
Because just like today, as the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul is explaining all of these things, you got folks sitting there scratching their heads going, well, how can this be true if I'm still living like this? How can I be an heir of God and struggling to pay my light bill? How can I be an heir of God? And so it, it was creating uh, a, a, a level of confusion among them. And, of course, the devil loves confusion. He loves to jump in on that and say, see, you're not saved because if you were saved, this would be happening in your life. If you were saved, you'd be experiencing this instead of that and, and so forth and so on. And so he's giving us a very important explanation. He's saying, now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, will differ nothing from a slave Though he is Lord of all, master of all. All right, now here's a really important piece that I want us to connect together, okay? Are you with me still? Let's go back to Matthew 11 in our hearts and minds, okay? Come and I'll give, learn and you'll find. All right? He didn't say that if you play your cards right, you'll be an heir. He didn't say if you go to church enough, you'll be an heir. He didn't say if you do enough good works, you'll be an heir. He didn't say if you memorize enough Bible verses, you'll be an heir. He didn't say if you go to enough church services or memorize enough gospel songs or or put all your presets to, to praise and worship music on your radio that you'll be an heir. That's not what he said. He said what? You are heirs. Not will be. But are, that's very important. Come and I'll give. Come and I'll make you free. Come and I'll make you righteous. Come and I'll make you an heir. But an heir who's not willing to learn from Jesus is going to live more like a slave than the heir they truly are. In other words, they, they, he made them something, right? This is why, again... Discipleship is about the inward reality of the new birth becoming an outward expression of life. The inward reality of the new birth is that you've been made free. You've been made righteous. You've been made prosperous. You've been made wise. The inward man, that spirit man on the inside of you says that you don't even need anybody to teach you anything. Because you have the one in whom is hidden all treasures of wisdom and knowledge has become one with your spirit. But does that mean we just close up shop and go home this morning? No, that's not what he's saying. He's talking about the reality of this inward man, what's true about you right now. See, this is, listen, if you can, this is a huge hurdle. Sometimes I try to illustrate this by, um, you know, let's say you're on 459, you know, headed to, to, to Hoover, you know, uh, coming through McCullough, and there's an accident you know, three miles up the road that's got two of the three lanes blocked. It's a log jam, right? But if you can ever get past that log jam, now you've got three lanes of interstate in front of you, right, with very little to no traffic on it. And all the police are behind you working the wreck, right? I mean, you, you can put the pedal to the metal is what I'm saying. I mean, you know, up until the acceptable speed limit, praise God. Are you still with me in here? So in the same way, there are certain places, pinch points, certain log jams where people grow and, and, and then they grow to a point and their growth seems to stall out or slow way down. But if you can ever get past that point, right, then all of a sudden, man, you, you, you can grow and develop and mature 
at, at such an, uh, an accelerated rate. And this is one of those places where so many people get stuck. Remember what we said last week. If it looks like a duck, if it quacks like a duck, if it... That was what Wednesday a couple weeks ago, I guess. I don't know when we were talking about that, right? It's that one-dimensional thinking where, you know, we think if it, if, 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 it, if it looks like a duck, if it quacks like a duck, if it walks like a duck, it must be a duck, Right? If it looks like a slave, if it talks like a slave, if it quacks like a slave, if it walks like a slave, it must be a slave. Unless God made you an heir. And you haven't learned how to live like an heir yet. Doesn't mean you're not an heir. Doesn't mean you're not free. See, the devil will always have you trying to become something you already are. You realize the one thing I cannot become is what I already am. Houdini would come to town to do his magic show, and he's an escape artist, right? And part of the way he promoted his show is he would allow the local sheriff to lock him in the local jail, put him in handcuffs, put him in, in the jail. He would get free from the handcuffs, get free from the jail, and then come out, hold up the handcuffs, and then say, hey, you know, for, I don't know what it was in those days, for uh, 25 cents you can see my show on such and such an auditorium, whatever. That's the way he promoted his show. And he did that, I forget how many times in a row, until he went to this one jail. He got out of the handcuffs pretty quick, but he couldn't get the jail door unlocked. And it was hot, and he was sweating, dehydrated. Finally got frustrated, and he finally called the jailers, like, look, just come let me out. I don't, I don't know what's wrong. Can't, can't get this one. And the, and the sheriff had played the trick on him. He never locked the door. So he was trying to unlock a door that was already unlocked. He was trying to get out of a prison that he was already free from. He just didn't know that he was, that he was free. And this is where so many of God's people are. We're trying to become something we've already, we, we already have become. We're trying to get God to give us things he's already given us. We're trying to, to, are you following what I'm saying? We're, 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 we're trying to, you know, leverage God because, again, this push-button mindset. Amen. Now I say that the heir, as long as he's a child, is not different at all from the slave, though he's master of all. So do you see, come and I'll give, learn and you will find. He didn't say you will be heirs, but you are, all caps, A-R-E, you are heirs. Heirs living like slaves. Why? This is the question. Why do heirs of God live like slaves? It's because they think like children. It's because they think like children. Heirs live like slaves because they think like Children, Go with me now to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse number 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse number 11. Amen. Are you getting anything out of this? I'm glad a few of you are. Amen. All right. Amen. Praise God. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. Listen to what he says here. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. Now, 
What is not stated here, but clearly implied, is someone who is living like a child. Let me say it another way. How could we ever think, understand, and speak like a child, but live like an adult? You see, that, that'll, that'll never work. If you think like a child, if you understand like a child, and you speak like a child, it will be impossible for you to live any other way than like a child. So in order to live like an adult, this growth process... We've got to put away the childish thinking, the childish understanding, the childish speaking. Now, this is of particular importance because if we go back to Galatians 4 and 1, again, this is easier to track and process if we have the projector, the screen. But let me give you the definition, the biblical definition of what it means there when he says, as long as he is a child, he differs nothing from a slave. That word child means one who is ignorant. Ignorant means you don't know. If you don't know, you don't know. Okay? That's why the Bible says study to show yourself approved. Not study to get God's approval. Study to reveal the approval God already has placed upon your life. Ignorant, number one. Number two, it means immature. Immature, think of it as something that is not fully developed. In other words, if it's not fully developed, that means it's capable of more development, but that development hasn't, um, hasn't been achieved yet. In other words, it's, we're talking about potential here. This next one, though, is very interesting. So it's three components to what it means in Galatians 4, one to be a child. It means one who is ignorant, one who is immature. Number three, one who is unable to speak on his or her own behalf. Unable to speak on your own behalf. Now, this would almost take really a couple of sermons at least to do it justice. That's why we, we spend a great deal of time on this in discipleship class. But let me, let me make a few statements here. First of all, you'll never understand the importance of prayer until you understand the importance of words. The world in which we live is a word-based, word-created world. This is why Jesus said you could speak to mountains and they would move. Right? This is why Jesus spoke to fevers. He spoke to demons. He spoke to sick people. He spoke to a dead man. Right? So, one of the key things, this, James said it this way. He said, he said that a man who's able, a woman who's able to bridle his or her tongue is a mature man. That, the Bible says perfect. Perfect in the, in the New King James. King James means mature. If you can bridle your tongue, you're a mature man or woman, and you can bridle control, self-control. Let me tell you the key to self-control. The key to self-control is tongue control. What you say control. So if you can control what you say, you can control your whole body. That's something the Lord's had me working on this year. Amen. It was a great day for me when I realized I don't have to comment on everything. Amen. Amen. 
you, if you haven't been a part of our Wednesday evening study on, on faith to flourish in a merciful heart, amen. We, listen, don't let the devil set you up by judging. Whatever measure you use to judge other people, even people who are clearly wrong, the Bible says it will be the same measuring stick God uses to judge you. The mercy that you show others is the same mercy that he will show you. You determine the amount of mercy and or judgment that you receive from God in your life. God cannot, I can't believe I'm going down this road, but somebody needs to get motivated to, to, to get the balance of this teaching, right? God wants to show you mercy, but when you do not show it to others, Romans says you put yourself in a position where God cannot defend you. It's inexcusable. And the devil knows this because the devil is the one who wants you judged. And so he's trying to manipulate you into passing judgment. What does it mean to judge another person? To form and express a negative opinion about them. And in our day and age, there has never been, with, it, with the advent of social media, there has never been a more opportune time, more opportunities available, I should say, for people to judge one another. So a perfect man, a mature man, is someone who's able to bridle his tongue. What does that mean? That means keep your opinions to yourself. Amen. If you think somebody's wrong, you ain't got to tell the whole world you think they're wrong. That includes our political leaders. The Bible doesn't say to judge those who have the rule over you. It says, first of all, pray for them. All right, let me get back to where I'm supposed to be. I think I'm supposed to be right there for a minute, but let me get back here so we can land this plane. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. Galatians 4 says, as long as you're a child, even though you're heir and Lord of all, you'll live more like a slave than the rightful ruler that God has made you. What does it mean to be a child? Ignorant, immature, unable to speak on one's own behalf. I believe those three things... uh, are, are, we talk about process. In other words, before you can speak right, right, you've got to be mature. And before you can be mature, you've got to learn. In other words, the more, the more we deal with our ignorance problem, the more we can deal with our maturity problem. And the more we deal with our maturity problem, the more we can deal with our speech problem, our, our, our mouth problem. Amen or oh me? Okay. Now... <clears throat> How can we live in Canaan with thoughts, understanding, and speech that's been established in Egypt? This is where we are. This is what we're facing. Amen. Can I, can I give you just, you got just a couple of minutes? Amen. All right. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Let's go there and we'll at least get this part started and we'll pick it up here next Sunday. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Deuteronomy 6 and 20 says, When your son asks you in time to come, saying, What is the meaning of the testimonies, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, We were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders before our eyes 
great and severe against Egypt, Pharaoh, and all his household. Then he brought us out from there, that he might bring us in to give us the land of which he swore to our fathers. All right? So, real simple, real simple phrase. I want it to just, I want it to become so settled in your heart. Maybe you want to write it on a note card and stick it on your bathroom mirror or your refrigerator, okay? God brought them out so he could bring them in. Okay? He brought them out of Egypt so he could bring them in to the promised land. He brought you and me out of the slavery of sin, enslaved to sin, so that he might bring us into our best life. Now, out of slavery into their best life required a journey. They didn't go to sleep one night in Egypt, wake up the next day in the promised land trying to figure out the best place to stop. Let me just go a little further. God brought them out so he could bring them in. Amen? Are you still with me? Before going in, God needed to walk them through. He brought them out so he could bring them in, but before he could bring them in, he needed to walk them through. He took them from the land of not enough through the land of just enough to the land of more than enough. And that's exactly what he wants to do in my life and in yours. Take you out so that he can bring you in. But if he's ever going to bring you in, he's got to walk you through. So do you see why he's an agricultural God? He's a God of process in a mechanical and digital world. Father wants all of his children living in abundance. He wants you to have more than enough. Far too many of his children are living in the place of just enough and believe that is God's best for them. Now here's the thing, and I'll stop right here. Trust must develop and increase in order to progress along this spectrum. It takes trust to get out of Egypt. It takes more trust to walk through the wilderness and more trust still to enter and fight for your best life. Stand with me this morning. Praise God. When we were babies, somebody did everything for us. Amen. Think about that for a moment. When we were babies, somebody did everything for us. If people continue to do everything for us, we can make it into our 20s and still be like babies. At some point, if we're going to grow and develop and mature, go from being babies to children, from children to full-grown spiritual adults, amen, at some point we're going to have to start taking on some more responsibility. Are you seeing this, right? 
As long as somebody else does it for us, it's impossible for us to grow, develop, mature physically, but it's also impossible for us to grow, develop, and mature spiritually. So when you think about our salvation, you see their uh, experience uh, of getting out of Egypt. God basically did all the heavy lifting there for them. Are you right? Am I right about this? He, he did all that heavy lifting. He got them out when it came to our salvation. He did all the heavy lifting to get you and me out of sin. We, just, we basically called upon the name of the Lord and were saved. And that's very, very important. Don't misunderstand me. But as we move on from there, right, we're going to have to learn to take on more and more responsibilities to become more and more cooperative with God. Because He can only take you as far as your trust in Him will allow. Are you seeing this? Man, it's hard, it's hard for me to stop this morning. I'm, I Thank you for your patience. Just... I mean, I'm not, I'm not just trying to satisfy me. I'm trying to get to a place where the Holy Spirit says, okay, that's, that's enough for now. And I'm, I'm not quite there yet, so just, amen, just stay with me. Praise God. This is why so many people, thank you, Holy Spirit, okay. This is why so many people have this approach towards receiving from God, Jesus, take the will. Let go, let God. I'm giving it to God. It's because they're looking back on God basically did everything for them to get them out of Egypt. But now he's trying to get you to the promised land. We're still thinking God's going God's to do it all. So Jesus, take the wheel. I'm just going to let go and let God. We're offering him a wheel. He's offering us a yoke. And so we stay in this state of spiritual maturity. And I'm not, immaturity. I'm not trying to offend anybody but see that that's baby talk that's childishness jesus take the wheel i'm let go and let god and if you say that i'm not trying to offend you i'm just trying to show you that's that's not his his best for you samuel is what how much he weigh bethany 16 and a half pounds almost 17 pounds he's off the growth charts you know like they say 100 percent what he's he's off the growth charts okay um, and he is enjoying nursing from his mama. But you do understand that there will come a day when that kid's going to need some meat and taters. All right? You follow what I'm saying? He's, he, he's going to have to progress, you know. There's going to come a day when he's going to have to learn how to pick up food and put it in his mouth. And then there's going to come a day, are you ready for this, that he's going to have to make his own sandwich. And then there's going to come a day when he's going to have to make a sandwich for his own kid. You know the, the ultimate accomplishment for a tree is not to bear fruit? It's to make more trees. See, we, we, it's a process, right? What starts as a seed becomes a tree. The tree grows and develops. My dad planted pecan trees and those things grew for years and years and years before they ever produced a single pecan. And you think, praise God, we finally got some fruit. That's not the ultimate goal for that tree, is to make more pecans. The ultimate goal for that pecan tree is to make more pecan trees. We get so satisfied with being out of Egypt, and we think that this is the best we can hope for. My friend, he brought you out because he wants to bring you in. 
So easy to look at, look down our noses at them for wandering around the wilderness for 40 years. God's got people in the New Testament church who've wandered in the wilderness for 60 years. Still waiting for somebody to fix them a little something to eat. Hopefully they'll get hungry enough to eat it. Picky, turn their nose up. Father, you're good to us. Teach us, Lord. Please help us, Father. You've got so much more for us than what we've ever seen or understood. And Father, it's not that you're withholding it from us. You've already given it to us. It's already ours. Lord, it's not something we're, we're, we're trying to become. It's who we are right now. How frustrating it must be for you, sir, when your, your princes and princesses, your kings and queens, Lord, live like slaves. How frustrating it must be for you, sir, we live so far beneath what Jesus paid the ultimate price for us to have. You brought us out so you can bring us in, Father. And Lord, we commit our works and ways to you because before we can ever go in, we've got to walk through and learn what we need to learn, Father. Thank you for these beautiful men and women, Father. Thank you for their hearts to know you. Thank you, Father, that they follow hard after you. Thank you, Father, that they hear and receive and understand everything that you speak into their lives. Thank you, Father, that we're not just bearing fruit, Lord, but that we're becoming trees of life, Lord. We're, 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 we're becoming tree makers, disciple makers, Father. Thank you for your blessing upon us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being here this morning. Praise God. Tell somebody around you good things coming. Know that you're loved. Know that you're blessed.